0: Hey, friend, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist who loves to draw you closer to Jesus and offer practical tools to help you walk confidently in who you are in Christ. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always 15 minutes or less. And every other Wednesday, we share guest interviews with people I hand select to speak into your life. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Stick around until the end of today's show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. And spoiler alert for today's Let's Get Real Practical, I have a special guest who is helping me with that. You're gonna love her. Well, in case you missed it or maybe you're new here, My book, Image Restored, released this month. It has been such a fun ride. Go order on Amazon, leave a review, and if you are just now hearing about this book, you can go learn more at imagerestoredbook.com. Well, speaking of my book, today's guest is another name you will see throughout it. Eight times to be exact. This woman, started as my professor, then was my counseling supervisor, and now she is a friend and mentor. She was one of the three doctoral-level counselors who read Image Restored and proofed it for anything not biblically or clinically correct. This particular woman also contributed to several of the therapist's thoughts throughout the book, which we are discussing and diving deeper into today. So who is this woman? Dr. Linda Hoover serves as the Executive Dean of Academics at the King's University. As a licensed psychologist and ordained minister, she has a heart for empowering others to realize their God-given potential and purpose. Linda enjoys sushi dates with her husband, Jared, long walks, and cooking with her grandchildren. Dr. Hoover wrote this endorsement for Image Restored. A must-read for anyone struggling with body image or identity, Rachel artfully brings together personal experience, clinical expertise, and spiritual truths for a winning combination. Her honest stories welcome the reader through healing's open door. She provides the practical guidance of a professional counselor's voice and the gentle invitation to measure beliefs against the plumb line of God's word. Rachel's creative approach makes for an interactive and pleasurable therapeutic experience. Well, honestly, friends, I'm going to just tell you, even just rereading her endorsement blessed me because, again, if you can't tell, this woman has very much impacted me personally and professionally. You're going to love her as much as I do. So please help me welcome Dr. Hoover to the show. Well, I have a fun treat for y'all today. I'm sitting here with Dr. Linda Hoover. Welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Rachel. Really yeah. is. Yeah, I'm honored. Good. I'm just so grateful that the Lord brought you into my life all those years ago. I wish I could remember which class I had with you first, but oh well, I'll, I probably would never remember. <laughs> well, it's
1: probably 2018. That was my first semester teaching on campus, so it would be spring
0: of 2018. Do you know what class you taught by chance career counseling mm, that was my first class <laughs> with you that. that was my first class that's mm-hmm. right yes and i loved it i learned so much in that class and in fact i probably have you to think that i passed my board exam with flying colors because there was a lot of career counseling questions on there and i was like oh i know this and i know this and <laughs> well that I, I appreciate that feedback because yep. i'm still teaching
1: that class at TKV. Yep. in fact i just finished up online one Teaching it. So, yeah. yeah, it's a good class.
0: Yeah. Well, you prepared your people for the exam. So, good Excellent. job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, anybody who has, first of all, read my book or has my book in their hands or even has just listened to this podcast for more than five minutes knows that you've been a huge influence on my life. And then you also graciously read my manuscript and gave me feedback. And then you also. Uh, wrote several therapist thoughts for the book. And on top of that, I applied a couple principles in the book that I learned from you. And I mentioned you in the book with those. And so we're going to go through, I thought it'd be fun for us just to go through the book and some of the insight that you gave, let you expound on that. Cause I've already had some feedback from people of like, Ooh, tell us more about that. And I was like, Ooh, we'll ask Dr. <laughs> Hoover. <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So we'll just start. I'm literally holding the book in my hands. We'll start at the beginning. And you contributed, I think, three or four of the therapist's thoughts. You gave me feedback on all of them, but then you wrote some of them. Um, And the first one that you wrote that I've been, people have really loved. I'm going to read the therapist thought, and then we can just talk about it. Um, It says this, and this is in chapter two, page 36. Have you ever considered how the original sin involved food? Unlike other addictions, food cannot simply be avoided, not if we hope to live. What a vicious hijack by the enemy to take something God intended to be a blessing and turn it into a source of struggle and shame. Let's unpack that. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Well, I think that there's so many things
1: that we deal with, especially as counselors, um, that started with the original sin. And you think about when the, you know, the, when the enemy, when the serpent came to, to Eve and says, oh, look, this look at this fruit. And just the enticement of that and the beauty of that. It's like he messed with the beauty. He messed with the, just the whole idea of you got to eat to live, right? And so it's like the basic element of what, you know, she would have to do to
0: live. He messed with that. Mm, yeah. And so how do we, I like that you said as counselors, we see that a mm-hmm. lot of that original
1: mm-hmm.
0: design and, and everything in and sin. Mm-hmm. So how do we see that still affecting then today in our relationship with food? Mm-hmm. Well, I, again, it's,
1: it's, you have to eat to live. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, you know, with alcohol or anything else where you could say, well, I'm just going to completely abstain. Mm -hmm. And I think that where the eating disorders come into play, it's like because there's a maybe an unhealthy relationship with food um, that and and if we look at it as especially as Christian counselors and we're looking at that as if it's part of the fall or part of that original sin, to me, that's where we can apply grace. Mm. You know, because if we're walking in in really that understanding, it's like this is from our fallen nature and we're going to struggle you know and i think it's just it when i say that it's a vicious hijack because it is something that's so elemental and you know elemental and so basic to our human existence is food and and not just the actual food but you think you you know sitting down with your family or sharing a meal with a friend or you know just the social aspect of that even gets hijacked when there's you know eating disorders and food issues that come into play so it's like there's so many different aspects that that food can be a blessing and it also can be a curse and and i think that anything that the enemy you know can do originally and now to, you know, to mess up relationships and mess up the way people feel about themselves and, you know, it's really get in and, and, and rob and steal and cheat, you know, which is what John 10 tells us that, you know, enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy, you know, but as especially as counselors, we can come in and we can show that grace and love and really help you know, support people in that, even though it's kind of a it's a basic element of our fallen nature, we can extend grace and show them, you know, show them
0: a better way of towards health. Yeah. Yeah. And I do. It is interesting how the enemy has no new tricks up his sleeve. And so because he has nothing new he has to take something that God designed and try to put a twist on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The counterfeit of mm-hmm. that.
1: Well, when you think about this uh, with, with eating disorders, and, and I know even in my own journey with food, I've used food as a comfort,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and and I remember one time the Holy Spirit really challenging me um, and asking me, he goes, I'm happy to be your comforter. You don't need food to mm. be the substitute for me. Wow. And I think sometimes we can, you know, while it's not like some unpardonable sin or something, if you're eating more cake than you should or whatever kind of thing, I think it's it's just the whole idea of it's like, where are we going to get our comfort and where are we going to get, you know, that maybe sense of self-worth and those kinds of things and knowing that we don't find that in food. But I think, again, that's kind of the lie that goes back to the original sin. It's like, well, you're going to be as smart as God and you're going to be, you know, all these things that the enemy promised that were all lies. Mm. But it was appealing to, you know, to Eve, not just the beauty of the fruit, but it's like, what's the potential of that? And and really in that counterfeit, you know, she she lost. And so did we.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So your answer on that made me even think about why do we go... it for comfort you you were kind of just saying it's more about a false sense of a counterfeit even right Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm.
1: well i think there's i mean there's so many different Mm -hmm. reasons but one that comes to mind and again what kind of the personal Mm -hmm. struggle for me was i felt like i deserved it i'd had a bad day so i deserve it Mm -hmm. you know and it was a way of rewarding you know i think even growing up i had that sense of you know we were very um I'll say we were poor and didn't know it, you know, growing up. And so on payday, my dad would say, hey, I got paid. Let's go get an ice cream or something. And so that kind of, you know, what started as a reward, you know, as a little kid, yeah, I yeah, get an ice cream. Um, as an adult, it was that same kind of thing. I've had a hard day. This has been a rough patch. This has been whatever. And it was a, you know, it was a comfort thing. You know, and I think a lot of people do that, you know, do that kind of thing. There's something maybe sentimental or something that's just very soothing that might come from, you know, particular food or brings back a memory, it's a connection, you know, some sort of a, an emotional connection. And and again, I think that's such a a way that the enemy can really trick people to think that there's going to be some food or some, you know, drug or some activity that would be illicit or, you know, unhealthy or whatever that could take the place and bring the comfort that the Holy Spirit says that he would bring.
0: Yeah. And then as you were talking a little bit ago, you brought up the word grace. And then I even think kind of what you're talking about here brings us to this. And it made me think of the therapist thought that you wrote for Grace, the chapter on grace, and you said, Take a moment to sit in the stillness of God's presence. Imagine grace being freely poured over you like a warm, fragrant oil. Breathe in deeply as it is absorbed into every thirsty cell. Notice any places where the oil does not soak in. Offer those areas to the Lord and allow his gentle grace to soften your soul until it is fully saturated and satisfied. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that we can, when you wrote these two, one's in the beginning of the book and one's at the back of the book. I know I didn't recognize or read them side by side and recognize, huh, to be satisfied, right? Because that's almost is what we're looking for in those comfort moments is Mm -hmm. we want to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the flip side
1: of that for me is that if something isn't being absorbed, it Mm -hmm. could be a blessing, it could be a compliment, it could Mm -hmm. be. You know like just some word of affirmation and if and i think of just a, almost like a coat of armor or a plate of armor or metal that nothing can penetrate it and i think sometimes we get that kind of defensive you know where the grace can't be absorbed mm. and it's and grace is freely given you know jesus paid such a great cost for showing us grace and his death was grace for us you know but it's like how do we absorb that and how do we receive that and i think just even with the way that we see ourselves and this is a, this is something that i pray have prayed for years especially as a as a pastor and a counselor to say lord help me to see people the way that you do and something that i've been adding the last few years and lord help me to see myself the way you see me mm. Because I think sometimes it can be difficult to even show ourselves grace, to receive the grace and to show ourselves grace. And we a lot of times can be more gracious, grace filled to other people than we can to ourselves. And I think it's in that kind of, I don't know, maybe almost unkind way that we would be towards ourselves and not we're not absorbing that grace. And if to me, if you can't absorb the grace, it's really hard to to genuinely give that out and be satisfied with who you are and how you are and to reach that potential of what God's really called you to do it can make you feel like you're ineligible
0: mm, you know yeah. it's like
1: it's that just, it's it stunts and stops and then i think the other thing is that the enemy will come in and say well you know you're hooked on food or you're this or that it's just the accusations that come And, you know, and again, I think that's part of the original sin, too, because it's like it gave him permission to just wreak havoc in our minds when, you know, he, he takes things that don't belong to him oftentimes.
0: Oh, for sure. Why do you think that we have a hard time receiving grace? I think
1: sometimes as children, we aren't maybe in our homes, we're not shown grace or given the space for grace. I think we don't give ourselves credit you know, a lot of times, even for ourselves, to me, that's a way that we can show grace to ourselves is even rejoicing in the good things, but also giving ourselves that grace or that space to make mistakes, you know, like fear of failure. And, and so even in that the anxiety that comes from that kind of thing is, you know, can be people can try to fill it with food or whatever kinds of, you know, things, but it affects how we feel about ourselves. And so to I think to have a revelation of grace and to really ponder that. It, it has to be a revelation from the Lord, really, for us to fully get it in kind of what you described, you know, to be able to sit and, and absorb it and allow the Lord to really bloom that in our hearts. To me, that's part of the relationship that we can have with the Lord. Yeah. You know, and we really sit with Him, and that means you kind of have to be still. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Psalms tells us that be still and know that I'm God. It's that being still, like, cease pause you know just sit back the lord said just let me pour that in because he wants to be our comforter and that's what jesus said he was sending the holy spirit he was going to leave and send the holy spirit so he could be our comforter and our advocate and you know and show us that grace help us to understand the grace so I think that's that's just powerful because I think, especially as counselors, we have people coming into our offices that have not been extended grace, have no clue about grace, and they've done things that they feel that they're ineligible, mm-hmm. you know, to really receive the grace. So we have an opportunity to show them what grace looks like.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because if you haven't received it ever from a person, then sometimes it's hard to receive it from God, even though we know He's not a human mm-hmm. <laughs> just because we haven't received it from a person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's a, a big deal. Um, all right. So another thing that I, I, I mentioned in the book and I've mentioned it on the podcast, you said this to me one time in one of our supervision sessions that God brings things up because they're on the way out. So if somebody's listening right now and they're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting to hear this when I tuned in today, or mm-hmm. God's stirring at my heart on some of the things we've already talked about. Can you speak to that? Because I feel like sometimes, well, I'll, I'll let you speak to it and then I'll share what I've witnessed even in my own self on this topic.
1: Sure. Well, I think that so many times when we're in the midst of something that's difficult, you know, trial, test, whatever you want to call it, just a you know, rocky point, difficult, pinch point, whatever, it can feel like that's how life's going to be from now on. We can't see any way out of it. And when God extends, and this is how I see when, I, when I'm when i dealing with something difficult, God extends a hand and he says, I'm inviting you to walk through this, and I will walk through this with you. When he brings something up and brings it to our attention, he knows, one, that we're ready to deal with it. Um, even though we might not feel like we're ready to deal with it, he's bringing it up for a reason. And he's not cruel. It's not like, well, I'm just gonna mess with you because it's fun, you know, rip the band-aids off because it's just fun to watch you squirm. It's not that thing kind of thing at all. But it's an invitation. Let me walk through this time with you. And what's on the other side, we may not know, but God knows. And here's a saying that I say all the time. It's like, God, I may not know what you're doing, but I trust that you do know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an invitation to know more about the Lord and know more about ourselves than we even knew was possible. You know, and I think that element, and and there's, there's nothing that I can think of that doesn't have a kernel or an element of trust to it. And I think, especially in our relationship with the Lord, we don't ever get trust figured out. It just continues to grow and deepen. And I think anytime that there's a uh, you know, an issue that's brought to our attention, or a growth point that's brought to our attention, it's an invitation to walk. You know, with the Lord, He'll walk with us through that into the next season that He has for us, and it's always for something better.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I love that that trust element, and we all get real uncomfortable with the trust piece, don't we? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: it, because a lot of times we equate that with how people have been with us. Mm. You know, yeah. and it's easy just to shut down and say, Well, I'm just not gonna trust people. I've been hurt by people. And it's kind of a defensive kind, you know, survival kind of thing oftentimes, depending on, you know, if you're in a very traumatic kind of situation where people are repeatedly hurting you and that kind of thing. It's it's hard to trust. But there again, I think that's that's part of the break, the breach that happened in that original sin. You know, there's so many elements. I, I've gone through and, and really looked at, like, family relationship issues. When Cain's killing Abel, that's, you know, Houston, we have a problem, you mm-hmm. know, in the family when you have that kind of issue going on. So it makes sense, you know, issues between husbands and wives, between between brothers, you know, family members. All There's just so many different things that came with the fall that we deal with now. But God's made a way. Yeah. You know, the grace and the peace and the strength and that sense of community. Because if we're not being able to trust, you know, like Erickson, we study that in, you know, in counseling about the, the basic trust versus mistrust that's developed as a child, as an infant, you know, an attachment and those kinds of things. If that trust element is is not strong, is insecure, it's, it can be really difficult to trust not just people, but to trust God too. Mm-hmm. because we don't know what's it's like you know and then the anxiety comes and that the hypervigilance and all those kinds of things and then it also can cause isolation because it it makes that you know connection that community connection that can really cut it off and then what are people doing you know they're filling that void comforting themselves some way that soothing nurturing that they need maybe from their primary caregivers or for the relationships around them then they're you know self-medicating with donuts or whatever it might be um to because they're they just feel so isolated because there's not that trust connection
0: yeah yeah so if somebody listening can relate to that of like major trust being broken in re- human relationships how can they then work on that trust between them and the Lord? And not put the same experience they had with people onto him. Well, it's kind of
1: interesting because you have to trust to trust, Mm -hmm. you know, and to walk that out. And it's almost like there's little increments of, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this one, almost holding your breath in one sense. It's like, okay, I, I can I. I that's good you 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 made good on that one you know I, I I can trust you with that but it's baby steps in some ways I mean I remember a time in my own life where it was like Lord I've been hurt by people so much that I'm just not you know we were moving to a, actually to a new church to be the pastors and I, I told the Lord it's like I'm not going to trust these people I'm not going to make friends with them I'm not and it's like anybody that knows me knows how long that lasted like less than a nanosecond, you know, because it's just like, that's not authentic. That's not real. That's not what the Lord would have. But I think it can just be almost a knee-jerk reaction to just avoid, you know, people. But it does take trust to trust. Mm-hmm. And and when that trust can be established with the Lord and, it, and the trust, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to venture out and trust uh, another person. And how does that go? It's almost just little baby steps. But it, some progress is better than none.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And it makes me think of your, the therapist thought that you wrote on page 206 is about God's love. Mm-hmm. And I feel like his love majorly plays into trust in mm-hmm. this area. But so here's what you wrote. God's love. You can't buy it. You can't lose it. It is unconditional with no strings attached. It is not dependent on your looks or any measure of performance. Love can't be earned, it's freely given. You can find it anywhere, it's for everyone, including you, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. His love covers it all. I thought that was beautiful. Like, oh, it just sums it up. So how do how does that kind of like us receiving the love and the grace that probably also helps build that trust mm-hmm. bond too, right? Just Absolutely. like Absolutely. You know, my relationship with my husband, if I feel loved by him and, you know, that he sends me grace and things then, of course, and then vice versa, that bond is even deeper mm-hmm. with us, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that part of the, any, any
1: relationship yeah. that we build, um, there is an element of incremental Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's some self-disclosure. It's like, okay, does that feel safe? It's all—it's all about kind of feeling safe. And I think, w- especially with the love aspect, what what are the indicators of how a person feels loved?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and and if any kind of traumatic kind of experiences, especially you know, like as a child with abuse and those kinds of things, people are saying they love, you know, I love you, when they're hurting them, then then that whole concept of love gets messed up in that can really make it difficult to absorb or really even understand or comprehend or receive or any of the you know the love that the Lord would show towards us has towards us. But I think again it's um, it's that incremental now here's where I think people come into play, which is risky you know to allow people to come in and it's like how how can how can I show you love? As a, especially like as a counselor, if people come in and they've been so hurt, so broken, um, and they don't trust, how do you build rapport? You know, how can you really do that? How can you absorb, help them to absorb the love? You just have to show it. You have to give it, and it's almost like a like a oil. It's a fragrance. It's a it's a presence because God is love, right? And so it's it is a trust. It is a opening, and it's an absorbing of that that I think is it's an opportunity for us especially as believers to show that to other people because the world doesn't readily give it.
0: Yeah. Have it to give. Yeah. For that matter? Yeah. So then what do you recommend to somebody who does come in and like you said family of origin grew up not feeling loved, not feeling the grace, those things that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. where do they start in the healing on mm-hmm. that?
1: The thing that comes to my mind is revelation of the holy spirit because he's an expert at everything Mm. you know we can try we can say words and and again they may have had the words they may have had you know the gifts or whatever that somebody has showered them with or you know all of that um but it's really a revelation of the spirit of the lord in their life and it's like well how how are people going to know how are they going to have the opportunity if we as believers aren't being that example aren't being the salt and light aren't you know showing love i mean the, the bible says that people will know that we're christians by the way we love one another so it's kind of like how how is that even going to be possible um for people to know and to be able to absorb or experience that love if we're not providing or giving that you know to them but it again it's it's like you have to trust to trust it's you know or you have to 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 experience that love some way. And it, again, that's in that relational kind of aspect, which feels risky when mm-hmm. you've been hurt. But it's it's kind of like, do you want to remain isolated? Or, you know, are you willing to take the risk to trust, to make things change, mm-hmm. to experience something new? But I think the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he can do in a split second what a hundred hours of counseling could not even begin to do, you know, kind of thing. So I, I believe, I mean, the Lord wants people to be in relationship with him more than we could even imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. That actually brings me to one of the final therapist thoughts that you wrote was on community. And, and it says, we are made in the image of God. Therefore we have his relational DNA. There's that relational word. Uh, We're wired for connection. When something or someone damages our wiring, it doesn't have to be fatal or final. Taking the risk to restore relational cords can move us from isolation to consolation. Mm-hmm. I feel like you read that before we <laughs> interviewed. <laughs> like you literally just hit on all of that the isolation piece and the. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. You're, and I just love how you put there that someone damages our wiring, but it doesn't have to be fatal or mm-hmm. final. Mm-hmm. And I almost just feel like, as you were speaking a second ago, and then as I just read that, that there's somebody listening who this is God bringing something up because He says, okay, it's time, time for you to trust again. I'd like to rewire that. You've been stuck, you've been isolated, and He's extending an invitation.
1: One mm-hmm. of the things that I would, I'd like your listeners to consider we're all walking on a journey. Mm. I mean, all of us through life, we're mm-hmm. not standing still. We might feel like we're standing still, but we're walking. And who do you want your walking companion to be? I think it's very easy for us to, you know, the enemy can be really subtle and walk alongside of us and be feeding us all kinds of things that are not, you know, what God would say to us. Not, you know, if it's not loving or if it's not you know, constructive, or if it's not building, encouraging, those kinds of things, it's likely not from the Lord. And so my encouragement to them is allow the Holy Spirit to walk with you and listen to what he says about you. And that sense of community, sometimes he shows up, you know, people with skin on, so to speak, are representatives. Again, we're all image bearers of, you know, made in the image of God. So we're going to reflect his nature, like the good shepherd, that might show up as someone being very protective or very nurturing or really looking out for, you know, it's like, what what can I do for you? And, you know, like a shepherd would with a little lamb, you know, that kind of thing. It's like there are ways that as image bearers that we reflect the nature of Christ and that to me is one of the benefits of being in community because there's so many reflections god's so multifaceted and to be able to experience that and and you know really show out kind of what who god is and to appreciate that in each other's lives is really a blessing
0: yeah yeah you've mentioned a couple times the holy spirit and i bring mm-hmm. up the holy spirit in my book several times as well for the listener who maybe um doesn't know practically what that looks like to, mm-hmm. like trust the Holy Spirit to open, to bring things up and to to do that. Wh- what advice would you have for them? I think when we
1: walk in relationship, you know, when we accept Christ or if we're considering, hey, I want to, I want a different life. You know, what can I, what can I do? And you know, if someone's open to surrendering their life to the Lord and saying, God, what do you have for my life? There is that the presence, just like me being here with you today. There's a presence, there's a feeling that I have of being, you know, of being here live with you, not on Zoom, but, you know, being live. And the Holy Spirit is with us. It's like he's a presence that's with us. But we are also, when we receive Christ, we are filled with that, you know, with the Spirit. We are filled with his presence, with his essence. And and he gives us wisdom and he helps us and you know, there's a like, oh don't go over here or you know, there's a, a guidance that comes. He instructs and he guides and he counsels. And and so it's it's almost like listening to <laughs> people would say, Oh, that sounds psychotic. It's like listening to the voice, mm-hmm. that still small voice that you would feel inside. You know, some people might call it like a conscience. Or that you know the inner voice or something, but the Holy Spirit is is representative of you know of God on the earth in us. So I guess that's probably what I would have to
0: say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's practical. I like that. Uh, speaking of practical, it is time for let's get real practical, and this is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed and we give practical steps to implement it. I feel like we've already kind of been doing practical, but usually I, after I re, uh, record an interview with the guest, I will record this section later, but today I asked you to help me partially, well, a couple reasons. One, because I feel like you are always full of practical wisdom, but then two, the unit six um, activity in my book, really, I gave you Credit, full credit for in the book, and I'm giving you more credit for here on air because you taught this to me whenever I was in practicum and you're my supervisor. And since we're talking about, or we just, you know, briefly discussed community and relationships, really, I want you to share the idea of the community wheel that you shared with me first and foremost when we think about relationships and community. Absolutely,
1: well, it really came out of when I was practicum student years ago, I had a client who was borderline and the characteristics of you know she had really no support system and and I thought oh my goodness what can I do to to help her because kind of her bent was that she wanted to just depend on me and I knew that that wasn't going to be healthy so this whole idea of a wagon wheel that has spokes came to my mind I give holy spirit full credit for that yeah. <laughs> um but what I did was I drew a circle um, on a sketch pad for her, and I said, "Let's look at all of the, you know, the supports that you have." There was only one spoke in her mind; it was only me. So I said, "What we're going to do is we're going to start building your support system, and those, you know, each spoke that we add will add it to the wheel." So she had um, her husband had a chronic illness that was, you know, terminal; that the prognosis wasn't good. So we found a support group that addressed that particular you know disorder that had several people in it and that was a that was the first support for her that we you know another spoke that we could add then we found a small group for her um she started attending a ladies bible study And that was a support. So eventually we were adding different spokes and friends. And, you know, I think there was a a group at the VA that she went to. And pretty soon she had several spokes, which is the wheel of support. That's her community. I call it the planned community. Um, Because if if one of those spokes is taken away, you know, like if I moved, which in this case I did move, she still had all these spokes of support in place. So her, her sense of, of, of help and community, and all of that was still intact because it wasn't, it was made up of many spokes and not just one. And so I think just the whole idea the more spokes, you know, friends, um, groups, you know, maybe church, <laughs> motorcycle friends, or, you know, whatever your interests are, all of those represent a spoke on your community wheel. And I think anytime when there's someone who has no spokes, Think about how lonely, how isolated, how that really puts people at risk. And so my my suggestion is, is like, draw a circle, write down those spokes that you have. Or, you know, if you don't have many, you may want to, you know, step out and say, what can I do to connect? How can I get outside of this isolation? You know, that donuts or scones or whatever it is, it's not going to be your you know your comfort that's not a long term sustainable kind of a plan for you know helping with that isolation but i think as as those spokes and it's a visual yeah. that can be really helpful and um and i and i think over the years even if i were to do that today there's been there are spokes that are, have been there for a really long time and there's spokes that have have left and new ones have taken their place and so it's, but I think it's really important to have that sense of community and connection. Again, we're image bearers and that's in our DNA. And, you know, God himself said, it's not good for a man to be alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is one of my favorite. I feel like I do this with pretty much every one of my clients now. It's helped me professionally and personally. Professionally, I think that I remember the first time I, why it came up was, yeah, I'd have a few people who We're feeling a little bit like I was their only hope, if you will. And I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) that's a dangerous place to be. I'm all for being there for somebody, but not if I'm your only spoke. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not um, not very good. And so I love the visual because for so many people, I don't think I don't think people recognize that they're walking around with one or no spokes Mm -hmm. on their community wheel. Mm -hmm. Even high level performers and business people and whatnot the first thing that tends to go in our lives is relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're like, all right, eh, I don't need that. I got to get this done or I've got to do whatever. And then you wake up one day and you're like, oh my, I have no community. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's helped me, like I said, professionally and personally to recognize, okay, it's a big deal being in relationship with people and investing in relationships and making time for those things. It's a big deal. You do not want to. Be stranded with with no spokes, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and, and I think one of the things too that that does is it is an opportunity to be grateful,
0: mm.
1: you know, and to even be thankful for you know the people who are those strong spokes. You know, could be the fun spokes. It could be you know, it's like whatever the the contribution or whatever the strength or the attribute or the you know the the characteristic that that particular person adds to us you know, to be thankful for that, um, because it, it does make our life richer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, as we wrap up any other final words of encouragement or anything you want to share with the listeners?
1: Well, I would, uh, I would say that, um, life is a journey and enjoy every day because every day is a gift. None of us know, you know, what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds our tomorrow
0: when we walk with the Lord. So, Yeah, be blessed. That's beautiful. All right. Well, I'm so glad that y'all got to meet Dr. Hoover. Now you get to know why I love her so much. And I will see you all back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.